Okay. Hello, everyone. My name is Wei Liang, and I am the founding administrator of Channel News Theatre, the Telegram channel that you are on right now. Before I to introduce today's uh, topic and guest, I just want to set some housekeeping matters, which, you know, the house rules rather, which are already outlined on um, the Channel News Theatre chat or the discussion thread, but I'll just read them out. As the radio chat is happening, you are welcome to leave your comments and questions on the discussion thread that has been opened or on the tele Telegram chat group. Towards the end of the radio chat, we will also open the floor for listeners to post their questions or comments verbally. If you would like to do so, please click on the raise hand button. Yeah, but only at the end of the chat, yeah? And um, But also, please take note that the radio chat will be recorded and uploaded onto Channel News Theatre's Spotify channel at a later date. So if you wish to ask a question verbally later, please bear in mind that whatever you say will be recorded as well. And lastly, I'd like to remind everyone that uh, we welcome construct constructive critique of whatever is being discussed, but we also want to keep this a uh, safe space for everyone. So hate speech and derogatory remarks targeted at any individual will not be tolerated and anyone who is found doing so will be permanently banned from this Telegram channel. Okay, now that the house rules are out of the way, uh, let's go on to today's topic, right? Festival going and festival making in a pandemic with a specific focus on the Singapore International Festival of Arts, also known as CIFA for short. Now, for those who, those, for those who have tuned into the first two sessions of this radio chat series, you will notice that it's very different from the more career-based topics that we previously unpacked. And to be very honest, you know, many friends that I have in the art scene were very surprised that I did such a drastic shift of topics this time round. You know, um, they were like, hey, Wei Liang, I, I thought you were very vocally uh, critical of CIFA 1. And you know, that is very true. I, I was very um, critical of CIFA. And, you know, I wrote an Arts Equator article uh, four years ago, in 2018, critiquing the 2018 edition of CIFA after you know the festival directorship changed hands. Um, if you want to read the article, like you can read it here later. I've posted, posted it on the chat, and I even wrote my for me. I even wrote my honors dissertation interrogating the working relationship between the festival, Arts House Limited, and the National Arts Council. And you know, even with this year's CIFA, right? There were things that I both liked and disliked about the festival, but I guess at the end of the day, and for what it's worth, you know, I think it's commendable that CIFA 2021 even managed to happen given that we are in the middle of a global pandemic, and especially with, you know, the phase two heightened alert restrictions that were imposed upon the festival last minute back in May. And now, while, you know, we remain at the mercy of how volatile COVID-19 is, and now, you know, safe management measures can change at any time. I think there are valuable discussions that we can have, you know, about what it means to put up a festival or even present a standalone show, right? And that's okay. And even if we don't have most of the answers by the end of this radio chat, that's okay. And, you know, without further ado, I would like to welcome our guest for today, Gaurav Kripalani. Hi, Gaurav. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for spending your Wednesday night with us. So... I assume most people already know who you are, but for the sake of the uninitiated, could you introduce yourself? I am Gaurav Kripalani, and as you said, I'm the festival director of CIFA and have been for four years. I've just completed 
well, I will complete my fourth and final festival this coming weekend. Um, <laughs> it extended to this weekend because, as you said, we were hit with all sorts of hurricanes in May. But I'm delighted that three of the shows that got had to be cancelled, we are allowing, enabling them to happen this weekend. And for the past 25 years, I've also been with Singapore Repertory Theatre. Mm, I'm glad that I managed to catch you for this radio chat show before you step down from your current festival directorship. And yeah, really looking forward to, I'm watching A Thousand Ways this Friday, so looking forward to that. And um, before we dive into the questions proper, you know, I just want, let's do a check-in, right? How are you feeling right now, right, at this juncture when you have completed a, the bulk of the festival under the heightened alert measures back in May? And now you're about to present uh, three more shows before you step down. And yet we find ourselves unexpectedly in another heightened alert again. How do you feel right now? Uh, I think stoic is probably the word that comes to mind. Um, the key thing I would say is I have been incredibly blessed to have the most phenomenal team at Arts House. The producers, um, the marketing team, everybody have just worked around the clock, especially during May, to make all the adjustments. So that set of heightened measures got announced on the opening day of the festival. I mean, the timing just could not have been worse. And as you said, we're about to do these three shows that we were gonna give live to and give these artists a chance to work and showcase um, the brilliant things they've created. And then we got hit with another round of measures. Mm -hmm. So we're in that position again, where we're reducing capacity for from 250 to 100, where, you know, we're doing it again. But so you roll with the punches. I think we mm -hmm. in the entire team have um, really, really worked hard. And they've just learned to take anything through all of us have just learned to take anything thrown at us um but all things considered it is bittersweet to leave i have had a terrific time i've been blessed to work with some incredible artists some incredible colleagues um so yeah uh, i'm looking forward to what natalie is going to bring to the festival i'm looking forward to going back to srt full time but mm. of course it is bittersweet to um, be saying goodbye to the festival. Hmm. Right. So there's bittersweetness. And I guess also the theme, I think from what I'm hearing you say for the past year is that of volatility and the uncertainty of the ever-changing, evolving situations, right? And, you know, last year you were meant to present your last edition of CIFA, which unfortunately had to be cancelled. I myself was quite devastated because actually I was, I was project managing uh, Remini protocols 100% Singapore and you know for them to, to not be able to meet them in the flesh after working on for months on that show it was it was devastating but I think then you went on to accept the invitation to stay on another year as festival director right and I think as I was you know following the festival I think it became very apparent that you were not going to just you know I was not going to see Remini protocol next year you were not just going to just copy and paste the 2020 lineup to 2021. So 
I think what I want to ask is, what's your general philosophy for programming this year's festival, bearing in mind the volatile nature of the pandemic and how you know there's a chance that shows have, might have to be cancelled or postponed? I think the cancelling 2020 was, was really devastating. I mean, we obviously, we all understand why it happened and safety comes first and um, we supported that decision. But I mean, personally, and as a team, as you said, I mean, I think you described it perfectly, right? We were working for over a year to put that festival together. There were hundreds of people involved and suddenly it was all gone. Um, and then personally for me, it was like the end of my three-year arc. So when I was asked, so when I was asked to do stay on for a year, it was very much, hey, just take the shows from 2020 and move them to 2021. I had just done a trip to the UK and came back and I was doing my two weeks quarantine in a hotel. And I realized that that was the first time I had spent two weeks alone by myself in a very long time. I mean, it had been a frenetic pace doing the festival, doing two jobs simultaneously. But suddenly I was alone in this hotel room and it was really just reflecting on what 21 was going to be and whether we would be out of COVID, how do we program a festival that has a plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. And I think that was where the realization for me happened, that we throw out the entire 2020 program. The only thing that was vitally important to me, and one of the reasons I was also staying on, was we had commissioned for work, Singaporean works, and we really, really wanted them to have their world premiere. So those are the four that stayed. Um, and then when we went on to program 21 i guess for me it was how do we program a festival that does three things a reflection of the zeitgeist that we're all experiencing it has to be a reflection of the world that we live in but thirdly and i think for me this was important is i think a festival besides bringing community get together a festival also can bring hope and I think that was actually one of the things that ran through the programming. So the artists I started to talk to were artists who were able to use technology in new ways or adapt their work with the use of technology that did not compromise the artwork, but could happen. God forbid we had a situation where it could not happen in person, that there was an online solution. And I think that's what fueled a lot of the programming thinking. And I think two things came out of that. One was, I think this is here to stay in terms of uh, the digital involvement in te technology involvement in art creation of art. I think that is going to, that is going to be something that is going to stay with us. And the second thing was the silver lining to this horrible time has been audiences have missed live theater. Mm. And it was so evident that the minute we 
anybody was able to put on a show, it sold out instantly. And it was just audiences were craving that connection. And it's what we do best, right? I mean, that's what makes us stand out. Why go to the theater rather than watch Netflix at home? It is that live interaction element that everybody, you know, we all know that, but to feel that and remind people. And I think everybody in the, I know a lot of people, thank you to everybody who is spending their time listening into this, but I know a lot of the people are the converted, but the general public, it was, I think it was, a, it, the silver lining was that it was a reminder that the arts are important and we value it, we miss it, we're going to support it. And I think that's one of the good things that came out of, that's come out of this whole terrible time. Hmm. Right, so from what I'm hearing, I think the struggle there is, of course, you want to program um, artists who are innovating with their forms, right, be it digitally or otherwise, but also you mentioned that um, your more conventional audiences, I guess they do miss live theatre and they might not be so acquainted with the more innovative digital forms that are out there. So for you as festival director, how did you decide what balance of digital and on-site programs to present? Bearing in mind such a diverse audience base. I'll tell you what was very interesting. I spoke to some incredibly established artists around the world who I was very keen to work with and present in Singapore. And when I would have these conversations with them about, okay, whatever we work, do with you, we need a plan A, we need a plan B. If you can't come to Singapore, how do we present your work? And there were artists who couldn't do that. Um, as in, they didn't know how to do it. It's not that they wouldn't, they didn't know how to do it. But then there were artists who were super excited about taking on this challenge. And their entire process was, we will find a solution. And their energy is absolutely what fueled our entire team. Um, one in particular who really just, everything that was hitting her in her country as well with COVID, she was constantly finding solutions to make sure that this work happened. Um, and it was, that was what was exciting. And it was, you know, it's how do we find interactive responsive technologies and performance? How do we use, um, one, okay, what, what I will say, one of the key things in the programming decision was I was very clear that we're not going to stream anything passively, meaning mm -hmm. there was nothing that was available digitally that you could sit back on your sofa and watch on your screen. So not Every, VOD, yeah. yeah. Correct. No, so we absolutely had a VOD component mm. and I will completely get into the rationale for that, but all the programming that we presented you participated with that artist online. Um, and that was very important to me. It's like, how do we have the connection between the artist and the audience so that you are talking to the artist in real time? Um, and that was, that was through everything. What we did is then we actually filmed all our live work and presented it as VOD because we hit this thing where it was, our audience capacity was reduced to hundred people on opening day. Mm. And by having everything filmed, we then allowed a far greater audience reach 
and people were able to access this work. And because they were all filmed professionally, a lot of our Singaporean artists got an international audience. Um, so I think that is actually going to be one of the things that I hope is a uh, stays on for years to come because it is a great way to get audiences to see our work. Mm, right. So I guess one of from what you're saying, one of the blessing in disguise in disguise, right, is increased accessibility because people who can't attend the festival can now watch um, shows from their home, right? But I think then I it kind of creates a very strange um, awkwardness in if you think about what a festival is supposed to be, because you know we all conventionally know art festivals as you know events where you attract masses of people to attend week, weeks of action-packed programs, right? But yes. Yeah, in, and, and I'm thinking programs, yes. live programs, on-site programs, right? And I'm thinking of your festival house, for example, right? Which was really, it was an organic meeting point for people and, you know, artists and festival goers alike to socialize, you know, and sometimes they don't even need an agenda to do so, right? But now we have social distancing measures in place for our safety. And, you know, for me, I, I, I was, I didn't go to the festival house in the end, even though I wanted to, because I, I was thinking, you know, the idea of the heightened alert is to discourage people to physically convene at the festival house and physically convening there, it doesn't sit well alongside these social distancing measures. So I guess if we can't all meet in person to talk, you know, before or after watching a show, then how can we still foster that sense of community that a festival is supposed to, to harness? Oh, oh, I so agree with you. I think you're absolutely right. It that was one of our that was one of our biggest challenges this year. I mean, there is everything about this year we know is it was very unusual. It meant reinventing every day. I mean, we had strat meetings every single morning to plan for the day and plan for the day after because everything changed. And so I think one of the things I'm proudest of was Festival House over the last previous three years, because it's exactly what you said to me. It was having a central location for artists and audiences to meet. Um, if anyone was intimidated about the programming or what to do, you could go and you can have a drink at Festival House. You could talk to anybody there and they would help you, advise you, guide you. You would meet fellow audience members, fellow artists. You'd exchange tips on where to go, what to see, what you liked, what you didn't like, what shows you should skip, what you shows you are must-sees. I mean, it was the epicenter of everything we were doing. And you're right, it was organic. It, it, And having it in the Arts House, I mean, what a beautiful venue, right? To have our home base be in this stunning building, I think it's one of the... I think it's one of the things that were very special. And I think in year one, when we created it and we wanted this to happen, we also did a very, we did an outdoor festival on the opening weekend and all the artists came to Festival House after the show. And there was this impromptu jam session and we just ate and drank till the wee hours of the morning and artists were just performing and laughing and, this was on the opening night of the festival. And I just thought, wow, this is exactly what I wanted. Um, and this year, we could not do any of that. 
And that was incredibly disappointing. And there was a point where we were in the middle of the festival where I was really struggling with, we'd put in place every safety measure we could and that we were asked to, and we had very few audiences, right? I mean, you had a hundred people in a theater, in a theater that could hold 600 or 2000 with the Esplanade show. And you had official statements saying, please stay at home, do not go out, be safe. And we were going, come to the theater, it's super safe. We've got this amazing show for you. Um, and it was really a conundrum. And I mean, I was like, okay, we're asking people to go out when people are being told to stay home. Um, so it is something I grappled with. But on the other hand, I felt we really have put in place every procedure we can. And with audience members being tested before they entered a venue, I felt, okay, being in a theater is probably one of the safest places in the country to be because you're surrounded by people who are either vaccinated or who are tested. Um, and then I felt, okay, I feel good about saying, come to the theater, come and support the show. And the people who did come, even if they were just a hundred, that experience, that collective experience was magical. When we did the, one of our opening shows, the concert for uh, in tribute of cultural medallion winner Louis Celiano, the feeling in the audience of you're at this live music event. I mean, one of the things that went through people's head was, wow, this is going to be one of the last live musical events I'm going to be attend for a while. Um, but that energy, that's where the communal spirit came from. Um, not the same as being in Festival House, like you said, but I think people were re relishing being in the theater and experiencing arts. And they were, you know, the thing that we should all be proud of collectively, and I don't mean me and I don't mean AHL, I mean us as the arts community, we put on a festival. We put on shows. We brought hope, we brought community together, uh, we brought joy, we brought provocation. I mean, as an arts community, we put on a festival. It was one of the largest festivals in the world, I think, to take place with live events in the last 18 months. I mean, Singapore can be very proud of that. So it was a challenging time. It was a traumatic time. I mean, none of us slept because a lot of our time went into refunding people in terms of reducing capacities from 250 to 100. I mean, that took hours um, looking after artists, but at the end we put on the festival and I think we, and we made sure that artists had work and we created employment. And I think that's, that's very important. Um, but the arts community really rallied and supported. And the messages I got of support from very different people within the community about thank you for doing the festival. I think that's what made it worthwhile. Right. So I guess there was a compromise in the sense that, yeah, because for me, I guess I, you know, I, I used to mingle before and after the show, right? But now 
you have this awkward situation where you know you 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 you're very mindful to not be caught in more than like pairs because you don't want a safe distancing ambassador to come over and interrogate you right and and that's that yeah and the organicness of that socialization is gone but i guess from what you're saying is i think what we relish is the preciousness of the moment in fact that the fact that we could even be there putting up a festival um in the middle of the pandemic i guess that's something to celebrate so i I guess um i also want to quickly ask you right um so of course you know heightened alert was imposed on the festival last minute and you know you had a very short time to react to what was happening could you give us a snapshot of what kind of work went on behind the scenes to ensure that festival goers can still safely attend FIFA? Can I tell you that day, it was May 14th, was the weirdest, most challenging day I have experienced probably ever. Um, it was the opening day of the festival when the measures were announced. It was Friday, May 14th and they went into effect Sunday, May 16th. My schedule up to that day was planned to the minute because I was also acting in one of the shows. So I was in rehearsal, and if I wasn't in rehearsal, I was in the office doing planning meetings or I was attending rehearsals for other shows. Everything was going to plan. On the day that this was announced, it was in the morning, we had a full dress rehearsal at three in the afternoon with an invited audience. And it was actually the audience, it was actually the AHL team. So, which was stressing me out more than anything else. I wasn't worried about the public, et cetera. It was like, oh my God, my colleagues are gonna come and watch this play. We finished, did that at three. The play finished at 4.30. I got out of costume, left Wild Rice, went over to Victoria Theater for an emergency strat meeting. We all met in the Victoria Theatre office with um, the AHL management and the National Arts Council. We put in, we went through all the shows in the festival that exceeded the number, how many we could put in place reduced capacity for, how many we could put pre-event testing for. But the one rule, we could do all of that. The one rule that actually made it very challenging was all performers had to be masked. Mm -hmm. That had an impact on a lot of shows. Um, And so literally over the course of the next hour, we went through our entire calendar, figured out what could happen, what could not happen. One of the major shows that in terms of scale that could not happen was the SSO SDT collaboration, purely on numbers, right? Backstage, on stage, in the pit, the numbers were way over. And of course there were uh four wind instruments so we knew that one couldn't happen um so we went through that entire thing that went on from 4 30 to 5 30. at 5 30 we went downstairs i welcomed the minister to the louis celiano show um said hi to our guests it was the surreal experience of opening night at the festival but in this strange circumstance and then I rushed back to Wild Rice, got back into costume and performed in the opening night performance of that. It was a very weird day. Um, but I think what's very important is to acknowledge the Arts House 
team, well, a National Arts Council support, they really worked hard to help make this festival happen. And they pushed for a lot of things to be pushed through um, despite what was going on. So I have to say, I take my hat off to them, but more importantly, the Arts House team. I mean, like I've said already, the amount of work that went on over the course of the next two weeks, three weeks, um, nobody slept because everything changed daily. So it was a it was a very surreal festival. Hmm. Right. So let's delve a bit even deeper behind the scenes, right? Because there's a mix of digital and on-site programs. And as an international festival, you do commission international present international artists, right? But I'm thinking of some works that were presented without the artist being physically present. I'm thinking specifically of um, Tanya L. Corey's Garden Speak, where you know you have this graveyard, a replica of a graveyard, right, being set up in two 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 arts center, and you know it's it's and and of course it's, it's great. But I'm just wondering uh, how how do you make this happen when, for example, Tanya doesn't fly over to to supervise the setup herself. How does you know how does how do you how do you maintain the artistic integrity of a, of a piece of work if the artist can't be physically present with you? The same way we have all learned to adapt. Good old Zoom. We had lots of Zoom meetings with Tanya, with the artists, um, with all our artists. Um, Pam Tamowitz choreographed one of the three pieces that SDT is performing. She, Pam, I think, is I think she's the choreographer in the world at the moment. Um, a, we could get her to choreograph a piece for SDT, which is amazing. And we could get her because she agreed to choreograph it by Zoom because we couldn't bring her to Singapore. Um, so it was learning to adapt to a lot of things. The same with Tanya. I'll give you a good example of incredible innovation, adaptation, and resilience from an artist. Um, Nelson and the nine years team. That project had been planned. So as you know, it was the nine year collaboration with Anvogard City Company. That was four years in the making. I commissioned that in 2018 to present in 2020. Um, this exact same story could be said for necessary stage. Um, they were gonna present in 2020, it didn't happen. But when we had the question about let's move it to 2021, the conversation again was, if the artists cannot be here, what is plan B? And these are artists who fall into that bracket of what I was talking about. Artists who are willing to find solutions to make sure it happened. Um, ideally, we would have loved the city company actors and performers to be here and performing with the nine years cast. That was always the vision. That was always the dream that we presented here and then eventually presented in New York. And it couldn't happen and we couldn't bring them in. And I think the solution that they found of the American actors appearing digitally and interacting with the live Singaporean actors, I thought given the world we were in, the restrictions we were under, the limitations that we all faced, 
I take my hat off to them for finding that solution and making that production a reality. The same with the necessary stage production. We could not bring in the performers from Southeast Asia um, who appeared on screen. Um, you know, there are compromises. Of course, it would have been better to have them all here. But given that that wasn't possible, I think I really do take my hat off to the artists who were able to make the work happen. Mm. Right. So I guess I mean it, you brought up the examples of uh, you know the necessary stages and you have that you have no return and, and nine years and city companies three sisters right and those two productions in the end had to you know kind of video project the actors who couldn't who couldn't be in the theater itself and whether or not that was successful I guess reviews of both shows have been very polarized but we're not going to dive into that right now of course but I think um, based on the fact that in the forthcoming future there is that likelihood right that you know artists or even the festival director might not be able to fly as freely as they used to be used to fly in this very physically distanced world then how can festivals still make such collaborations happen when we might not be able to fly to each other each other's countries and how can festival directors still still scout for work i guess i think we're all learning to do deal with um doing things online i mean on the bright side to that is um how much we're saving the planet by not jet setting around the world and flying artists all over the place so that is that is a silver lining we do need to learn to adapt and learn how to program um obviously watching a show a recording of a show online or on a screen makes it much much harder than if you are actually watching the work nothing will compare to that i think we just have to learn to adapt um we have to there are festivals now that are really so i've had festival directors call me during sifa post sifa to ask about how we recorded the work um how we presented as much as we did i mean we did i think 60 shows 200 performances something like that i mean it was a lot um so i've had friends who are festival directors call and ask how we can do that and i think that's actually going to become more common than not um that work is going to be assessed online i think the necessary stage nine years example is an example that answers your question about how artists can collaborate internationally i think that's going to happen more and more and i think technology is is going to play a very big part in the creation of the work. So it's not just, none of us want to spend hours in front of the screen. And we're all, you know, we all do Zoom meetings, we're all sick of it, it's exhausting. And then at the end of that, you're going to watch a two hour show online. It's like, how do we make that? What's the next best thing we can do to make it a visceral experience? And I think that's what I alluded to, or alluded to, I actually said at the start of this, our chat was, it was one of the driving elements of the programming that anything that we did, you engaged with the artist. 
And that is, you know, it could be anything. It could be you send something to everyone's house so that they're interacting with the show with the physical element. It could be, um, we were talking to artists where you would use augmented reality in the performance. So you would put on glasses that allow you to have this three-dimensional aspect to what you're seeing on screen. I mean, these are very basic examples, but I think this technology is, as technology develops and artists um, embrace it, at the end of the day, the art is the most important, right? The critical thing that was the driving mantra for us in programming was the art first. If the technology supported the art, if it was a, the technology overshadowed the art, we dropped the show. I mean, I think everybody agrees on that point. So that's that's the line that we all have to be careful of. Mm. As I'm hearing you speak, I, I'm actually reminded of the French choreographer Jerome Bell and how mm -hmm. he has absolutely refused to travel overseas. I, I can't remember yep. since 2016 or 2018, but yeah, for ecological reasons, he's 16. decided to yeah. not, yeah, 2016, right? He, he's decided to never travel again. And, and I think it's interesting that he's now choreographing via proxy. And I'm wondering, mm -hmm. is that a few, you know, is that a future where, you know, is that a future where you don't compromise the liveness of the program by aid presenting pre-recorded works, but you have a, a proxy choreographer like lead the rest of the dance company. Yes, I think that is going to happen. I mean, I think the what we did with um, Pam Tanowitz and SDT was precursor to that. So Pam had an assistant with her um, and there was um, somebody who was looking after the choreography here and they worked very much in sync so she was choreographing by proxy as well um it's interesting right i mean it's the paradigm has shifted and i think the paradigm is actually going to shift even more so let's talk about the future i don't know if you saw you know this article yesterday about Mark Zuckerberg saying that Facebook is um, going to become transformed into a metaverse company. Hmm, no, I haven't I think, read it yet. Yeah, I think we it, have a look at that because I think that's going to that is going to be the future. It is really going to be this entire virtual life online that you are going to have this parallel life in this virtual universe. And how do we as practitioners in the performing arts in a live medium embrace that? How do we make the audience's journey pre and post show? How, we have the ability now to reach them. We have the ability to make that journey for them start well before they've left their house. Um, we can immerse them in an entire world of the art and the artists. You can actually as I have those glasses in the theater. So you have an augmented version of that with live performers. I mean, the possibilities are endless. So imagine having a theater in the metaverse that you will actually go to. Your avatar is going to be surrounded by fellow theater goers who have 
bought a ticket. It's an entirely new revenue stream for artists and arts companies. Um, and you have to make sure that you're doing that with a live performance as well. Um, so you, but you gives you, it, you know, it's the same as if Disney goes and does Little Mermaid, the animation, right? After the animation's a hit, then they do the Broadway version um, and people throng to it for the live experience. It, they don't cannibalize each other. They actually feed each other. So how do we as artists make sure that we have this virtual presentation that drives audiences to the physical experience? And I think the artists um, and producers who can embrace that, I think in 10 years, that is the future. Right. So we, we've, we've talked a lot about how, you know, we can make the festival going, the audience's festival going journey as pleasant or as memorable as, as possible, right? But I want to pull the question back to the artist, right? How do you, how does a festival extend care and hospitality to artists who can't be physically present at the festival itself? Because I'm thinking of how, you know, after an artist puts up a show, puts up a show at a festival, you'd be able to host them at post-production parties. But in this in this case, you know, for example, you have Scott Sylvan and his magic show, right? But what how do you how do you show him that how do you show him that hospitality, you know, since he can't be physically with you having a drink at a bar? I promise him that I'm gonna take him out for an amazing luxa when people are finally allowed to travel. No, we we give each of our artists, um, our artists who are physically with us, a welcome pack um, that allows, one of the things that we put, that our marketing team did this year that was great and our events team put together, um, in our goal to try and be sustainable, we gave everybody these um, compressible folding cups so that you could put it in your bag. And then we put water dispensers in all the dressing rooms so that you had to bring your cup um, if you wanted water. So we didn't have waste, didn't waste plas plastic on water bottles being in every dressing room or um, styrofoam cups at the dispenser, but things like that. We made sure all these things that we did um, and our welcome pack was actually sent to every single artist internationally who for those who were not be able to be with us. One of the things the marketing team that, that was great is I did these 10 minute Instagram conversation, Instagram live conversations with um, each of the artists who weren't here physically, um, which allowed them to be part of the festival in a tiny way in terms of seeing what's going on and finding out what they're thinking and their process on presenting a work that they're not physically there for. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it is about relationships. And a lot of the artists we presented are artists whom I have a relationship with, um, mm. who know that I will buy them a meal the next time I see them. So I think that's how we looked after everybody. I, I think it's interesting that you brought up the anecdote about promising Scott Sylvan Laksa when he you finally get to meet him, right? Because I guess at the end of the day, it's about letting them know that, hey, I can't meet you at this very festival, but even if I step down as the festival director, I still want to maintain that relationship with you professionally. 
and I have known I've known Scott for a few years, um, and I've seen his shows and um, have always wanted to work with him. So that relationship is there. Um, so I know I'll see him again. Um, I'm sure the next time I make it to the Edinburgh Festival, which will hopefully be next year, um, I'll either buy him a meal there or we'll find a way that he actually does make it out here at some point. Hmm. Okay. So your festival directorship is ending. And I want to ask you, right, how has your perception of festival making changed from four years ago? Or has it not changed and actually solidified what you've previously believed in? It has to be both. I think um, it's solidified in the sense that I had two very basic tenants, three basic tenants when I started, and that actually did not change for my entire four years. It is present game-changing artists from around the world. Um, and those were artists who were revolutionizing their art form or have revolutionized their art form. Um, it was to present the very best artists from Singapore. One of my, my approach in thinking right or wrong was, if we are the National Arts Festival, then we want artists to aspire, look, Singaporean artists to aspire to be in it. So it wasn't about, we have a lot of festivals in Singapore. And I think there are many platforms in which you can present your work. But I just felt if we're the National Arts Festival, then we want to present um, the best of Singapore. And I think we did that over those four years. So it was, so I think that game changing artists from around the world, presenting the best of Singapore and then fostering collaboration. I think the th third element really happened. So another silver lining of um, COVID is my third pillar of collaboration between artists. You saw it the most this year. It was bringing together companies and artists who'd never worked together. It was bringing together artists, Singaporean and international artists. I think we had 10, 12 new commissions this year, um, which is huge. We had, um, I think there were over 200 people employed in the festival. I think it was, it could be higher than that, but um, no, I think it's actually, so I think that has solidified for me over four years. I think the things that were has changed are there's a lot of bureaucracy mm. there's a lot of hoops to jump through um and i get it i mean it's taxpayers money you need to make sure it's looked after um but the processes involved i was surprised how much of my time went into uh, that aspect of the festival as opposed to just the art. So I think that's, yeah. some, that's something that I've learned over the four years. <laughs> right. I, I want to hammer a bit at what you said about, you know, your philosophy of presenting game-changing artists, right? I think mm -hmm. um, you will remember, you know, the, the interviews that you did when you first stepped in as festival <laughs> director with Sumiko yeah. Tan of The Straits Times mm -hmm. and in a in a CNA article, in a CNA interview, I can't remember who whom it was with. Um, mm -hmm. The article has since gone offline as well, but you were quoted saying, 
I think I, it's safe to say that I have a reputation of not doing weird shit. I do mainstream. I do love mainstream work, and I don't think it's a dirty work. So dirty word, sorry. So I, I think based off that quote, right, from four years ago, I want to ask you, has your appetite for taking risks evolved over the course of your festival directorship? I think the quote, you know, the quote was in response to a Facebook post Yisheng posted in yes, Jess, right? Yes. And he was like, you know, he's like, congratulations, Gaurav, on taking over as festival director. Don't don't forget to program the weird shit, um, which is very funny. And I think that's what I was making reference and light off as well. And I think that just took on a life of its own. But it, you're the best person to ask because you followed the festival so closely. But I think one of the key things that I've been very conscious of over this entire period is making sure there was work for your first time festival goer and that there was work for your arts aficionado and that there was a spectrum over those three years, whether it was children's work, whether it was, um, it, it, was a it was very intentionally programmed that there was a range of work that had different levels of, for lack of a better word, accessibility. Um, and I think that was very important to me. We're the National Arts Festival. We are the people, we are the festival, it's our festival. When I say our, I mean Singaporean, uh, people in Singapore, it's our festival. There has to be something for everyone. And I think the, our growth in audience numbers over the four years reflects that, that that was successful. Um, you cannot say it's an, it was an elitist festival. It had work that was challenging. It had work that even if you are a diehard arts lover, arts goer, there was absolutely work that was would challenge you. And I made sure that there was work that someone who's never stepped foot in a theater would enjoy as well, because I have practiced this mantra for 25 years that if you, the critical thing is the work has to be good. And if that person is walking into a theater for the first time and they see something that blows them away, they will become an arts lover for life. And they will come back and buy a ticket for the next thing. And they will support artists and arts groups throughout the year. If that first experience is negative, they will never come back. And I think our year and year on year increase in audience um, was validation that that programming direction actually worked. Right. So now that you know you're leading CIFA and you have had, you know, a broad spectrum of experiences like beyond theater, what are some of the lessons from your time with CIFA that you know you will bring back and you find applicable when you return to the Singapore Repertory Theater full time? Well, I mean the most blatantly obvious is I have an incredible network of artists and creators um, from around the world that will 
serve SRT really well. I think we've made a lot of friends that I'm looking forward to collaborating with um, with some of SRT's programming. SRT is going to develop new work, and I think there are new artists who I'm excited to create that work with, um, new Singaporean work. We do a lot of international work as well. So I think having that network of um, producers and venues that we can now tour to will be great. But I think it goes back to the point I made about when I was using the metaverse as an example. I think that directionally over the next 10 years, that is absolutely something I'm going to start exploring is um, how do we seize the learning lessons from the last 18 months of working with technology to support art so that we have a broader reach. Um, I think that that is something that I'm absolutely bringing back to SRT and you're going to see it in um, a lot of the work we do. Hmm. Okay. So that's the last question I have for you. And uh, we're going to welcome questions from the floor now. Gaurav, I know it's already 9.55. Are you okay if we extend oh, it I'm by fine. five, 10 minutes? Okay. No, 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 please. Fair I'm absolutely fine. And I have to just say thank you to everybody who has stuck around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm surprised by the number of people who have tuned in. So um, before, so I'm, at this juncture, I would like to tell uh, listeners that if you want to ask a question or post a comment to Gaurav, you can press the raise hand button or you can just leave your comments in the chat. Um, but of course, I will prioritize questions that are asked over the raise hand function. So just to let you know. Uh, okay. And um, before before I know I start reading the first questions, I already flowing in the chat, right? I think I want to, I'm going to give you the opportunity, Gaurav, to ask, you know, do you have any questions about my festival going journey? Yes, I'm fascinated by your intro on all the amazing things you've done in your journey with the festival over all these years and that this was your dissertation. I actually did not know that. Um, so you have this, I am, I'm really excited. I would really love to read that, but tell me about, tell me about this year um, in terms of 2021. I know you talked a little bit about Like we all miss, tell me, tell me what you miss about the festival, what you enjoyed about the festival. I'd love to know your experience. I think it's really being around, for me, it was really being around other people. Um, I think it was very weird because, you know, at, you know, um, I re remember the Titan Alert was imposed upon us the day you were performing in the commission, right? The opening day of the festival. And at that time I already, I was part of the Asian Arts Media Roundtable, of course, but I also personally bought some tickets to certain shows. And the, oh, the, the dilemma I had was, okay, so I have already bought tickets to X number of shows, but at the same time, you know, the multi-ministry task force is encouraging people to not leave their homes. And yet we have this weird bubble where, you know, your F&B outlets are being shut down, but performing arts, still, still allowed to go on, right? And I was like, oh gosh, it's very painful because it felt like I was going to the theater as some form of 
taking off a checklist of a logistical a logistical list of like a, it felt like a logistical obligation right that i can't waste the seat that mm -hmm. i've already bought the to <laughs> and i want to write down the artist so and also you know i something that you know despite you know my mixed opinions about your programming i think i really like the festival house for one thing and that opportunity to to you know just have an opportunity to meet someone without an agenda right even if we didn't watch the same same show we could just hang out over drinks at festival at house paul i think that was what it was called right mm -hmm. uh yeah. and and i think that so i'm just wondering now if this pandemic is so volatile and as you're handing the festival over to natalie right how how can yeah how can we still retain that organic sense of community of bumping into someone organically so so i think that that was my frustration with with this year's festival but yeah kudos for even putting up the festival under these restrictions i think it was no, you, no I, easy i think the kudos have to go to the amazing team that i worked with um because we all know it was not it's not me right it's it's a ton of people and my producers Sarah Junming Fiza, um, primarily, and um, Shireen, Lisa, Shrita, they, I, I cannot even, I don't even know where to begin to thank them because they were amazing. They rallied, they worked around the clock, they rolled with the punches. Um, and the same can be said of our Emma and her events team, our marketing team, like everybody really rallied. I mean, it was a crisis. I mean, we talked about this, right? It was a crisis. And it was making, it was nobody, nobody let it get to them i mean we were all upset as you said like you know you were working on rimini for months and then it the rug gets pulled out from under you you're just like all that work um but nobody spent time dwelling on that in the moment i think we all had time to dwell on it after but nobody spent time dwelling on it everybody rallied i would say my if you asked me what was my most, my biggest takeaway from four years at SIFA, or what I enjoyed the most, apart from the art, I would say it was the people. Hmm. I was blessed to be surrounded by an amazing, amazing team. And I just, I really wish Natalie all the best. I think she's going to be a terrific festival director. Um, she's going to bring a whole new flavor to it. We obviously have very different aesthetics, which is the whole point of changing festival directors every three, four years. Um, so I think it'll be great. But going back to what you said, I think, yes, Festival House is one of the things I am proudest of. It was the epicenter of the festival, having that place that people could commune um and communing is what we do right it, it's it's bringing people together and i think having an epicenter and a congregation point is one of the things that made 
SIPA stand out from a lot of other festivals in the world I've been to. So mm -hmm. I'm glad you enjoyed it. But yes, like you, I missed it this year too. <laughs> we did have Festival House, but we did not have House Poor. So having yeah. that, you know, we're Singaporean. It's food and drink is our thing. If you take away the food and drink, like, then what? Right. So not having that place that we could eat and drink together was, that was tough this year. Okay. So we have quite a few questions streaming into the Telegram chat. Uh, actually, you can read them on. Oh, can I? How are you? Yeah, you are able to read them on your phone, but I can read them to you as well. But um, okay, there's some questions. Maybe there are perhaps one or two questions. Oh, I see them. That um, you know, I might have been answered during the chat. So I'll look at those that I think might not have been talked about. Um, I'm looking at the first question from from Quan Qian. Um, he's asking, right? I like to ask Gaurav as a festival director, director and leader in the business of live theater, what is your forecast for the live performance economy in Singapore in the next one or two years? For instance, ticket revenue, culture of going to see live shows, financial model for the arts companies. Okay, that's actually very important. We are, I mean, this is decimated in our industry, right? I mean, I'm not saying anything, anyone in this chat doesn't know. I mean, decimated is an understatement. To operate a production with either 50 people without testing or 100 people with testing. So SRT just finished lungs. We had 100 people in the audience. If each person pays $50 a ticket to attend, 50% of them need to be tested. Each test costs $30. $30 out of that $50 revenue is going to pay for a test. You're earning, um, you're already operating at 25% capacity. Financially, it is disastrous. So we're in for a tough ride. I mean, one of the reasons we carried on and did the show is because we want to support um the artists we've engaged we want to keep our audiences engaged i think um we want to keep our uh team engaged so there are many reasons for plowing ahead despite the financial repercussions of doing it but that is not sustainable right if things do not start improving i think one of the things we as an industry have to champion um and this is in the next couple of weeks we have to champion is if we've reached this point of vaccination where 70% of our population is vaccinated, let's just say we keep testing. The number of people who need to be tested before they enter the venue should drop radically. So if only 20% need to be tested and 80% are vaccinated, we need to make a case that we have to operate at 100% capacity. Um, otherwise, what's the point off? going through this whole exercise. So I think the number one thing that we have to rally together to do is lobby for 100% occupancy within each of our venues because we need that revenue back. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, it's completely unsustainable. I mean, we all, everybody on this chat knows we've lost people with a wealth of experience um, who've left the industry to pay the rent, to get money to pay the rent. I mean, will they come back? Um, 
so it, it's really going to be in the next one or two years, I think are going to be incredibly tough. As I said, the positive is audiences miss theater. Audiences are willing miss theater. I just using theater as when I mean performing arts. People have missed live arts um, and they will now is the time where I think if we can produce work at full capacity, audiences will come. Um, so I think that's one of the things we have to do to start supporting the industry. With, otherwise, I think we're all screwed. Yeah, definitely. Fingers crossed, right? Because you are in a situation where the vaccination rate is certainly going up, but the number of people getting infected locally is still in the three digits. So what, what does that mean? in terms of safety, right? So I think mm -hmm. it remains to be seen. Yeah. Um, I mean, we all, okay. you know, I prefaced this right at the beginning, right? Of course, we understand yeah. safety comes first, etc. But, but, you know, there is a point where we're, you know, if we hit that 70% on August 18th, then <laughs> we need to open at 100% capacity. Yeah. Okay, um, Okay, Jacqueline, your question about programming, Gaurav did talk about it in the earlier part of the chat show. So we'll be releasing the um, the recording on Spotify much later on. You can listen to that part if you like. But I'm going to I'm going to look at um, Nabila and Max's questions questions right. And so Max has a very interesting question, right? Could you critique CIFAR 2014 and seven, to 17 and of course your predecessor on King Sen, right? And your own festival from 2018 to 2021. You don't necessarily need to compare to that, compare them. And Nabila also has a question about what do you what do you what do you both consider as a what do you consider as a successful festival, and whether critical reviews you know about individual shows, uh, the festival as a whole, social media posts, etc. Factor into this. Yeah. So I'm guess I'm guessing if we were to lump those two questions together, it's about you know. Uh, yeah, what 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 do you consider as an improvement from the previous festival, right? And how do you how do you innovate from there based on the feedback that has been given to you? Of course. Um I think it's a journey. And when I started there was this three year let's look at let's look at what I had as my three year arc from 2018, 2019, and 2020. 2021 is a whole whole different thing in itself, right? As we've discussed. But let's look at those previous three years. The idea behind the programming was always to take the audience on a journey. Um, and when you take the audience on a journey, it is also to challenge the audience in different ways. Um, and we make, we're in, we're in performing arts, we do live theater. There's no magic formula, right? Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. If there was a formula, we'd be really rich. So, you know, you take criticism as part and parcel. I mean, I, 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 we, I have presented new work in the festival that I haven't liked. And I'm the festival director. And I just have to accept that I put in place, my team and I put in place 
all the ingredients for it to be amazing. And it was good. It just, I personally walked out not amazed. I'm talking about, you know, but it's, it, but that's going to happen, right? There is, it, it, there is, there isn't a formula. And, but when it comes together and all those ingredients mixed in delivers on that wow experience, the high you get from that is like nothing else. That's the adrenaline that keeps the rest, keeps us all going for the entire duration of the festival. So your, you know, cr criticism is part and parcel of it. I mean, like you yourself, you, you like some shows, you didn't like some shows. Hmm. Um, but we had, but I really think there was, I'm, I'm trying to give you two examples. One of the things we opened with in 2018 was 1984. Yeah, I remember. You cannot get a more, to use your, what you were <laughs> quoted earlier, you can't get a more mainstream production than that. Um, but I thought it was a work that deserved to be presented. It sold out six nights of the Esplanade. So one of the other things that people forget is, and I, this is part of what I meant by the bureaucracy. I don't necessarily mean red tape. I mean, there are also a gazillion KPIs that you have to deliver. Um, it's a funded festival and it's taxpayer money. And to hit those KPIs, you have to make some programming choices to do that. So if you can imagine 2000 people every night in the Esplanade into six nights, um, that's definitely hitting a KPI there. Um, the flip side to that is you take a work like crowd, the dance performance. I know people who walked out of that absolutely disliking it, but if you were a dance aficionado, it was one of the most special, powerful evenings you would see in dance. I'm just throwing out two examples. My point in response to both, in, in response to what the questions posed were, you have to have the range. And I think it's, you assess the festival, of course you're assessing the best festival based on response. Um, and another KPI is we have to have um, surveys done. Um, after every performance. So there is an audience survey. So there's a response from an audience, there's a response from critics, there's response from artists. Um, of course it all factors. But I'm, you know, I'm in a position where I need to look at it as a four-year arc. It's not an arc, but it's four years of festival programming. And the other thing that we have not talked about at all is when 2020 got canceled, we created version 2.021. And then from the festival was supposed to be in May, 2020. From June, 2020 to December, 2020, we programmed an online festival. That was a festival programmed in real time. And festival takes a, take, Festivals take a year or two to plan. Um, 
as you know, and you work with artists for you know almost a year prepping the work. Version 2.0 happened in real time. It's like, what are we going to present next week? What are we going to present in three weeks' time? Which artists can we um, bring on board to showcase? And it was for two reasons. One is we wanted to keep arts, and this is National Arts Council supporting this and pushing this idea too, so um, we give them the credit. It's making sure the arts stay top of mind for audiences, but it was also a way to generate employment for arts practitioners who had zero work, Singaporean arts practitioners. And I think that's actually one of our proudest achievements that we did that festival, that to program it in real time and deliver it. One of the great things that happened is it taught us so many lessons that made 21 a success. Um, because 2.0 was a learning ground, because none of this had been done, right? I mean, nowhere mm. in the world. We were learning on the fly, but we had that experience and we were able to present 21, whereas other countries had to cancel their festival outright because they didn't, they didn't have that knowledge that we learned and picked up on the fly. <laughs> mm. Right. I mean, as I'm looking at Nabila's question, I'm just, I guess, um, it's very hard to, to to define what constitutes a successful festival, right? Because at the end of the day, everyone's taste is so different. And you're going to get, like, you talk about crowd and how there were so many subjective opinions about it, right? And I guess, mm -hmm. you know, I, I see where you come from and, you know, having that multitude of shows to cater to different different people so that even if they hated two shows there are two shows that make up for it that they possibly might have liked right exactly exactly yeah um okay i i'm looking at kamini's question it's a very important question actually uh she's asking sorry can you hear me i think i like like the bit I can hear you perfectly. Okay. Kamini has a good question, right, about self-care. She asks, how did you look after yourself during that extremely testing period of May this year? I know you were playing multiple roles, and I'm sure many of us can learn about how you kept grounded, healthy, and managed the stress that you must have been under. Oh, thank you, Kamini, for that question. Um, I had a lot of support. Uh, like I said, I think it was being surrounded by an amazing team, but I know this is also personally, this is when I thrive as well. Um, and you know, <laughs> this is one of the things I tell people. So I was running SRT when SARS happened in 2003. And everything shut down, and we thought we were going to close down. And it was a devastating time for the arts. But we got through it, and we actually flourished. And my mantra at that time was like, you know, if you can survive SARS, you can survive anything. And 
you know, 18 years later, COVID happens, 17 years later, COVID happens. And I have that to fall back on is that, you know, we got through SARS, we're going to get through COVID. And I tell my team that, you know, it's exactly that. If you get through this, you will be able to cope with absolutely anything after that. And I am an optimist. And I think that's what helps. But Kami, thank you for the question. I really appreciate that. It's, it was a super challenging time, but um, I was surrounded by amazing people. And I think just having a good team around you is what got me through it. And we're still going through right. it. So please don't forget, yeah. we've got three more shows this weekend. So please come and support. We have Rhythm of Us, the SSO-SDT collaboration. We have A Thousand Ways, part three. And we have Closer Apart, our kids show that is at Artground at Goodman. So please come and support the last three shows in SIPA 2021. So I guess for you, you that the resilience that was developed from your past experience, you know, having to run SRT during the SARS period, right back in 2003. But I guess I'm, but if I were to open that question a bit more, right? Besides from the resilience, what what do you do to recharge during the festival? Especially knowing that you were performing in in a show and and you had you had to administratively like oversee the other shows, right? What did you do to recharge in between? Um, I think we all operated on adrenaline. There was no recharging in between. I think it was you work in a festival. You know that you're going to go for twenty one days straight. Um, mm. And the day after the festival is when you collapse, <laughs> you rest and you recharge and you shut yourself off for two, three days, um, which we couldn't really do immediately after this festival because we were still firefighting with um, COVID still going on. But you, yeah, I don't think you pause in between. I think one of the weirdest weirdest moments for me uh i said one of the most challenging days of the year was the first day of the festival mm. the weirdest day for me was the last day of the festival we finished on a high with uh you said chan finger players is oiwa which i thought was a beautiful production it was at victoria theater i walked out of the theater at 10 something at night um on high congratulated the artists and then every as you said everybody had to disperse and leave um because you couldn't congregate you were not allowed to congregate and at 11 something at night i was standing on that little lane between victoria theater and the arts house alone and everyone had left and there was this moment where i was thinking wow my four years have ended as festival director and i'm not having a drink with my team i'm not celebrating i'm not i'm standing alone on the street at the end of four years and like this is our covid world um i certainly went home and drank but it was um yeah it was it was such a surreal feeling and such a weird feeling when it all ended um but i am looking forward to this weekend because i get to see everybody again hmm. okay 
I know it's great. Let's take one last question from Hui Shi. Uh, thanks, Gaurav. Thanks for sharing today. If you were to continue as director for 2022 CIFA, what are some ideas you would like to incorporate based on what happened during this year's CIFA run? Um, I guess, I mean, we know that you're stepping down, but I guess that's if we were to reframe the question a bit, right? What would you do, you know, same or differently if you were to run another festival again, be it CIFA or otherwise? <laughs> you know, my brain is so not in that space. I mean, I think we've covered that. I think we've actually covered it. It's a great question, but I think we have covered it in terms of, um, I think what I would do is take a lot of the lessons learned from this year. I mean, some things worked, some things didn't. I think you would be taking those lessons and trying to knock it out of the park for next year. It's, it's really looking at we all we're all learning right all of us are learning how to adapt in this crazy world and how to create art in this crazy world how to make a living in this crazy world and i think what excites me are the artists who have found innovative ways to do that um and it's the thing that i said it's this is my this has been this was my thing one of my pillars from day one it's game-changing artists. Game-changing means something completely different now, right? It's game-changing, finding game-changing ways to present art, um, not necessarily just their art form. That's what excites me. So if, if I was going to do that, but I, you know, I'm still, I'm still producing and presenting with SRT. So I think, stay tuned. All right, okay, so that's, uh, yeah, you, you were saying something? No, no, I'm just saying I have, I'm, I'm very excited about Natalie's festival and um, have enjoyed spending time with her in the office and getting glimpses of some of the things she has in store. So I think, um, yeah, I think 2022 is going to be great. Well, we certainly hope so. And I'm personally looking forward to catching a thousand ways this coming Friday. So fingers crossed for that. So Wait, yeah, but I have thank to you, say, Gaurav, Berlin, I have to say thank you for being such an incredible supporter of the arts and being so passionate about it. And I love this Telegram channel that you have and how you support <laughs> everybody in the industry. So thank you. I guess we all do the best that we can. But yeah, thank you for spending, you know, your Wednesday evening with us. I was surprised that you took up this offer to chat with us. I really, you know, appreciate it. And yeah, thank you for dear you dear listeners for tuning in. So if you like what you listen to, do consider making a donation to Channel News Theater. And stay tuned for the next radio chat, with, which has not been scheduled yet, but you know, will be on the topic of playwriting, which is what you guys have voted for in the poll that I sent out a week ago. So till then, stay safe and have a good week ahead. Goodbye.